Hello. And welcome to the Tony Awards. Tony with an I. The podcast where we go through the entire filmography of Tony Collette. I'm Sam. I'm Jake. And joining us today, we have two very special guests, Mr. Chris Waitkus. Hey, everybody. And Brandon Sargent. Hi. And today we are talking about Unbelievable, released in 2019, uh, based on the article by T. Christian Miller and Ken Armstrong about a woman who was bullied into recanting her rape by the police. And then three years later, it turns out that the guy was a serial rapist and it's found out that she was telling the truth. You know, we're, we're all very nice people. Uh, this isn't the nicest stuff to talk about um it's weird for me because with i i find it hard i think to watch true crime adaptations that aren't straight up documentaries because Mm. i find myself wondering what has been fictionalized and what Mm. hasn't been because there are some things where I might think that's a weird narrative choice but then it'll be something that actually happened Oh, do you have an example of something that you saw in Unbelievable that that did that for you? Because there was a lot of stuff in the very beginning that just created anger in me. Um, and mm. knowing whether or not it was real or storyline mm-hmm. was was interesting. What could be interesting? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think because. Well, I don't believe that Tony Collette's character's car actually exists. <laughs> in real life oh like her random hobby of going to the car part yeah. well that's and, like, real apparently real apparently the mm-hmm. the real detective uh works on cars with her husband but i've never seen a car specifically with the make and model that tony collette's car was in this <laughs> oh, so you're, it's like, you're like a car aficionado now like you don't think that that specific <laughs> model <laughs> Is one yeah, that exists in, it's like a Prius specifically. It's like a Prius pickup truck. Yeah. And I, it was built specifically for this. Her main character motivation Japanese was muscle. to find uh like a rear view mirror that would work for her and her husband's marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. That was I the did, only issue. On one of those articles though, I did read like fact versus fiction and the Apparently, when she like just tells Merritt Weaver to get in her car when they first meet, that actually is how it happened. Mm. Their first, like, she was apparently super busy. Tony's um, real life version, and um, she's just like, "Hey, hop in. I have somewhere to go." That was fun. Do you you guys know if the names were fictionalized or not? Because I actually wasn't super aware that this was a. Oh, these are fictional names. Yeah. No, they are. I read an article about it. Marie was the only one with. Oh, that was her. That name. was her middle name, I think. Ah, okay. So they used that. Marie is the young girl who who mm-hmm. uh, got raped, right? Yeah. As well, far as I know, I, the main, the biggest departure that the show took from real life is that in real life, her name and picture were never released to the public. Mm. Uh, she kind of just had that circle of uh, friends at her sort of group home that she has to. Uh, her her counselors make her tell them that she lied about the rape. That part did kind of stretch my imagination because I was like, I don't really see like, and Brandon was saying something about this, not to yeah. steal that, but yeah, you go ahead. No, I just feel like I was saying back like in 2008, I just remember like saying rape and like talking about it was so much less um, problematic. And I feel like, I know this is not just like making jokes in middle school, but I just feel like the way those, 
kids reacted to her false accusation felt so just kind that's of that's like a 2021 like, narrative yeah it did, it like did. it did yeah. not feel like those kids and I can see them like being like making fun of her for it but they literally hated her guts for it and I was just like that that was like the one thing that felt a little unbelievable (laughs) how many times are we going to be able to use that oh my god I hope a lot yeah it's I feel like the context of the show obviously this show is created in like a post me too kind of moment for tv apparently I was doing so much research on this before uh because I, I just watched the show <laughs> but um apparently the me the me too movement happened in between the uh susanna grant the showrunner like deciding to adapt the book because the book mm. was published in 2015 and she decided to option it i guess in like 2016 and then while it was in the process of wow. being made the me too movement dropped and they were like hey uh, but I do remember that the book opened with uh, a retelling of Marie telling her friends at the group home that mm-hmm. she lied about the rape. I think that it's like maybe because it is like a troubled teens program, probably a lot of them had experienced sexual abuse mm-hmm. before. Okay. So maybe yeah. that's why they took it so personally. But also, I mean, I don't know. What I do like about the show is that it doesn't seem to go to any pains to uh, super like vilify anyone who didn't believe Caitlyn Deaver, where it's not like they're not straight up approaching her and being like, hey, I hate women. That's why I'm going to stop well, investigating except for the, your case. That one cop, I feel like. Not yeah. even Which, the not even the detective who like felt guilty at the end, like the other one, I wanted to kill the whole time. Yeah. I hated that asshole. guy. I'm so glad you brought that up. That guy got no redemption, and I feel like the script was designed that way. Because well, fuck that just guy. Just the fact that they threw him in at that last scene. Okay, just so you know, we jumped to the end a lot here. But that last <laughs> scene, the fact that he even arrived, I feel like was definitely like a very like Hollywood kind of ending. Mm-hmm. And he didn't say anything, and she didn't say anything to he him. He didn't even but, say sorry. But I was but it, like, we needed that, <laughs> you know, as yeah, an audience. No, it's... Yeah you get to vilify that one guy, right? It's so mm-hmm. telling that like, there's one guy, I, lo- I love the the cop who was like, maybe they should fire me. I really, I love that as a redemption story. Like he wants to be a good cop. He just made a bad call. Um, so, I'm, you know, I'm, I was okay with him at the end, except for giving the girl the 500 bucks. That was cheap. <laughs> that was like legitimately cheap. Um, but the other guy sucked. He was so bad. And if, if I could just circle back real quick, the uh, the camp, they're not camp counselors, the, the counselors at the group home or whatever, those people, after watching that show, dramatized or not, those people are not your friends. They are, yeah. they, they are, they work for the state, which yeah. probably means they're also not the, the top brass. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that the state hires, you know, bad people, but like they always sided with, the rules and regulations and never mm-hmm. with her. And mm-hmm. that crushed me. I was like, this girl can't get help anywhere. It was such an interesting, um, also with like the foster parents too, because we meet two of them, which one of them was Bridget, Sam, who was from Fun Bridget Mom Dinner. Everett, a legend. Bridget. Yeah, a legend. I couldn't believe that she was doing a dramatic role. It was great. I know, yeah. she was great too. She was but so like, good. And then the other one who just looked like, I called her Alice and Janney ass. Mm-hmm. Like oh, I yeah. did not even know <laughs> who she was. But I was like, the fact that they, and they both talk about very casually being sexually assaulted at some point in their lives, which I thought was interesting, but like 
the like maybe generational slash just like code of etiquette talking about things mm. like they're so mad she doesn't react the right way these people are in the foster care system and the fact that there are so many people in that system who cannibalize that system as well it's just it was so sad to like see yeah. that but i also loved that bridget everett's character realizes that she made the wrong call it seems mm. like almost immediately because i feel like as a viewer if you're coming to a show like this it you want to put yourself in the shoes of the person who's doing the right thing and you want to believe that if somebody ever disclosed something like this to you that you would believe them and do the right thing 100 percent of the time mm -hmm. but i think that having characters like bridget everett's character who disbelieve marie and then sort of give voice to that, to to the reason of like, well, I thought that because her traumatic reaction didn't match my traumatic reaction that that must meant she's lying. But yeah. what if she's just a different person than me? So her reaction is different. I feel like that enables uh, viewers to, I guess, more easily see themselves as somebody who is fallible and capable of error in that way. And I feel like, you know, splitting people into, um, I mean, I don't know why I'm like campaigning so hard for everybody who failed Marie right now, <laughs> but <laughs> I, it just, it would have been a lesser show if it made everybody out to be a clear hero or villain. Well, yeah. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, like we already said, like pre-me too, it's, it's kind of hard in these days to even envision how different the dialogue around these things were, but like. In 2008, you know, blind faith in the cops was there, blind faith in the system from all these people who are part of the system. And just expectation that if something bad happens to you, really bad happens to you, you have to react like, oh my God, this was really bad. You can't, there's no yeah. such thing as like, tr like even, I feel like I don't even know when PTSD became like a, a commonly accepted thing outside of the military. I also yeah. feel like oh. the Bridget, there was like an element specifically with Bridget, but like for, it was almost like easier for them to believe that it wasn't true. Like as the mm -hmm. parents, like I feel like if your child is giving you the option to believe that they weren't hurt and like went through this traumatic experience, like of course, like I think part of Bridget's character like wanted to believe that it never happened because then she didn't have to grieve yeah. or like, you know, go through that. Yeah. Marie actually says that when she's talking to the therapist, she says people believe the narrative that's easy for them to fit in. Uh, and that, yeah, so that that tracks 100%. Um, I do, I think Marie is do, did the right thing though, or, or has kind of the right mindset. It's really like, she doesn't trust the police. She doesn't really trust anybody anymore um, because she's been wronged by so many people that thought they were doing the right thing, which uh, this is not meant, it's not gonna be funny. Uh, it's really akin to the black experience. It's like, I think it's really similar in that way. Cause you, you mentioned, uh, Jake, you mentioned like uh, 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 blind faith in the police. That hasn't, that's not always true, right? Or not in every scenario is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you making that point is very interesting. I love that really like, it's so, so short, but it's, and it's like not touched on anywhere else, but that scene regarding like the black experience, that scene when Merritt is, Merritt Weaver's character, the detective is, I just keep calling her Merritt because the whole time, whatever, yeah. uh, Karen, she's so hyper-focused on catching this 
the rapist that the she rapist. pulls over a black grandpa and his child and like points right. a gun in the driver's face. Oh my God, I forgot and about she that. Knows and she knows what goes, that means for him, yeah. And she goes back to the car and is like, am I a bastard cop? And it's like, uh-huh. yeah, Merit, you are. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. on, like honestly, yeah. Like like Merit Weaver is, is going to most likely be that, not mostly, but very likely going to be that black child's like first memory of a mm-hmm. racist cop. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you, you can't, because it is adapted from a true story and because there are like, you know, cops who try to do good within the system that they work in, even if it's necessary that they like step on the civil liberties of countless people to get mm-hmm. to the place where they are able to help people. But it, so you can't expect the narrative to go full police abolitionist, but I think no. that it I think that it would have been strange if there wasn't some sort of acknowledgement mm-hmm. of uh, of the racial disparities that exist when it comes to the treatment of police uh, and you the, know, the treatment the- that the police exhibit towards people. Yeah, the whole thing. I mean, Tony's character talks about it too. Like, she's like, "This could be." They figure out that the person is most likely cop or military b- based on the way he plans his attacks. And there's this whole thing about like who we can't have it be a cop because they're gonna hide it. Like, literally, that's just how these kind of things the, work. You can't. Yeah, you can't go to IA because internal affairs. Because then you're gonna be the one that's hunting cops, and everyone's gonna hate you. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought there was like a good balance of also because you're right. Like they couldn't go completely like anti-police when it's a show with like the two main characters are police. Yeah, uh, and they save the day. But like I feel like they touched on it enough in a way where it wasn't like I never felt like Tony or um, Merritt were like I didn't think their characters were trying to have like a pity party about being a cop and like being you know. But they did. I don't know. It was kind of interesting because I feel like in shows you know you don't really get to see that tug and pull of the of the moral compass mm-hmm. of somebody who is a cop and also understands like the, the field they work in yeah because I, I feel like cops are always in shows they're either like they're always pro 100 pro cop they could never be wrong it was such a very realistic portrayal right. of of every facet of it as opposed to just like they're the heroes of the story bottom line you know it wasn't yeah. like a procedural type thing yeah, for no, hundred percent. There, I what I think is so interesting about like Tony, for example. Um, there's a scene where she gets like all up in arms. It, it, it gets brought about because they disclose to the FBI that um, that it might be a cop. That they have evidence to believe that it might be a cop, and that makes Tony really upset because the FBI dismisses it. And then she gets, she goes and, you know, pouts over in the corner or whatever. Um, but in that scene, um, you can see like her blind ambition. She gets so upset about the grander issue. She was like, I bet you if more rapes happened to men, there would be more arrests, better things would be happening. Like if they, he, she even says, she's like, if the FBI agent was getting fucked in the ass, then, you know, there would, no, there would be no more rapes, basically. Uh, but that, that grandiose thinking takes away from the side of the case. Right. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love that they, she had that internal battle and Duval, who is uh, Merritt, was able to bring her back and being a cop sounds hard. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'll say, t- sounds like a tough job. I always, I, I realized last night we were watching um, a couple of episodes and I was like, oh my God, like, I think the best TV shows make you want to do the job that the main characters have like uh you know biggest example parks and rec i always loved it i was like i want to work in the government like parks Rec, (laughs) they have so much fun like i know that i don't but (laughs) i guess that's why i like 30 rock so much because i actually want to do that but um no but just like i just like this i was like i know i don't want to be a cop but like they're so cool like they're making all these like we're like a detective okay i'm not gonna say cop detective it's harder to do then and you have to work your way up there yeah we were, we were talking yeah. about how it sucks because it's like being a detective sounds so cool because you're not jake always makes fun of me for watching like detective shows and he's like a cab watching like, they're detectives <laughs> they're not cops but like you do have to become a cop first which kind of sucks because i would love to be a detective brandon's yeah, watched yeah. 10 seasons of criminal minds in like three months <laughs> oh so... my god it's so good it is you guys so probably good. know all stop. of the language yeah, you have to be a cop, uh, like walk a beat for a long time before you get to get detective. Yeah. And apparently it's really political. My uncle, my uncle is a detective. He just, he just made it, but it took him like 20 years. Jesus. Yeah. yeah so I also, speaking of like the time you put in, I, I thought it was such a cool, and I believe what, from what I read, it was also based on real life, but the, the dynamic of like Tony's experience and kind of like what um, you were saying earlier where she's like, cause like Merritt, I feel like was so relatively new to like salt, like rape cases mm-hmm. and like Tony's like jadedness towards it. And it wasn't oh, even like jadedness, but she was just like, you can't like she, it, I just loved how yeah. she, she was able to steer Merritt through her like first big case like that. One of my, this, I don't want to like expose my best Tony moment um too early but because i have two so but my favorite tony moment was when she decides not to go make the arrest and she gives it to duvall that's like come on what a good what a good egg i was so so happy you say it was gross i said bros they were bros oh they were (laughs) yeah speaking of bros i know this was like supposed to be a really feminist um pushing show um but it really, I think it was really well written and it read to me like a good buddy cop show. Like I yeah. didn't, I know that there was like yeah. feminist overtones, but like it was really just a good cop show. It was, it, it, it was is. very, yeah. It was just like a buddy cop. I, I want to say rom-com at <laughs> yeah. what it was. It just nothing first, they had such good it. chemistry though. Yeah, when I <laughs> first like met, Jake was like, is this about to be like a, like a really hot lesbian rom-com? I was like, no, but I, I just, I wish it was, Listen, but I'm glad I, it wasn't. I didn't not have a sex dream about Merritt Weaver. <laughs> <laughs> Is she not amazing? Okay, what She's a performance so that was. I don't even, I've never seen her in anything except for that, like, one scene in Marriage Story. And she's just like, it's just like a comedy scene. Yeah. Oh, by the, by, really. by the way, she and the social services women were both the best part of Marriage Story. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember Did when you I see watched it, Chris? The- I have seen Marriage Story, but I was too focused on how hot Adam Driver was. <laughs> uh. Merritt is uh, ScarJo's like sister, who she asks to like hand over the divorce papers or something. She's wearing like an apron yeah. and like gallivanting around the kitchen. She's just yes. like, "Ooh, I can't do it." it yeah. It's no, it makes no sense, but she's so good at it. I don't know. I remember when yeah. I watched this, like when it first came out. Um, which I can't believe I never thought I would rewatch the show. Oh yeah, you ran and watched this like two years <laughs> ago. Yeah, but. Um, 
um, it was interesting because the first time around, all I could focus on was um, merit, like the whole time. And I love, and I mean, I, I wasn't as well versed in Tony as I am now because of this yeah. podcast, but like, I just remember thinking like merit just kind of overshadowed her for me. Like, and when the, the nominations came out, uh, I was just like, merit deserves this. Like Tony was great, but I also just think it was more of a shocking performance because I was expecting Tony to be yeah. like the best thing in the show. But the fact yeah. that she competed with her so much, um, like I just could not stop watching it because of merit. And like, I know this time around, I I saw a lot more Tony moments but and Caitlin. That like just Merit Weaver's performance is so is probably one of my favorite performances I've. Did I've Merit seen. win anything? I don't. Not, I think she won I an think Emmy. That no, she didn't get nominated. Unbelievable, generally speaking, was nominated for a bunch of awards, and I think yeah. that it only won two awards total one of them was like uh that's unbelievable there i know there were there were a lot of like uh like critics choice awards type stuff i think that tony won a Mm. critics choice award and then the show won like best limited series it um, didn't on something any like Like winning a kid's choice award the (laughs) emmys are the emmys take place in a weird time of the year where it's like to be annoying awardsy for a second the rest of the award shows do like january to december and the emmys weirdly do like old tv which is like september to august or whatever so the problem is stuff like schitt's creek won last year but now it's winning this next year's critics like all the so by the time we get to next year there will be something else because now yeah. TV's year round. So basically the problem with Unbelievable is that it was really good, but it came out so early that by the time it came out, Watchmen had come out, Mrs. America and all this other stuff overshadowed it. And yeah. that sucked because it really was so good. And I think Merritt definitely deserved more attention for that. And Tony as well. I mean, I mean, Merritt like embodied two of my most, like the things I hate most, which are cops and religion and she made me she made me love them both i know it was crazy the way she was so and i love the way the show did that so the whole first episode is like purely focused on marie caitlin deaver who's also amazing but so hard work. every single scene she was in for the first like six episodes i wanted to cry and throw up she's the awful queen of frowning Every, horrible God. so sad everything so sad. she's in which i love caitlin deaver but short term 12 she's frowning the entire time because she's also did you see book smart yes she she does a lot of frowning in book smart <laughs> a comedy uh, <laughs> but no and, like yeah sorry i'll finish what you're saying about her i don't think that i've actually seen her in anything else but she's great she's so talented it's great but like the whole first episode is focused on her basically and then in her interactions with mostly male horrible horrible cops and and then like very invasive insensitive doctors she and gets EMTs. like the worst rape kid of all time horrible really and bad. then the next episode we immediately cut to merit being like the most understanding calm detective interviewing this next victim who is so and all Dan- the victims they interviewed were so amazing danielle mcdonald who i researched oh. thoroughly after Dumplin, watching right? this yeah she's uh she's she's the first uh she's a she's the victim that merit interviews at the beginning of the second episode um she was in Dumplin. uh she was in ladybird she was what did she play in ladybird god and something else. i don't remember who she plays in ladybird in did you guys see bird box 
No. Okay, so she plays this character in Bird Box who like annoys the fuck out of Sandra Bullock with her optimism. Oh wait, I've definitely seen Bird Box. Sorry. Yeah, she she's Bird the box. one who has who wants to name her baby like Snow White or something, <laughs> <laughs> and she's annoying the shit out of Sandra Bullock the entire time, uh, and then that. she dies. <laughs> It's not funny. There's nothing funny about death. But it's like a very, it, it, it's a sad death. And afterwards you're like, oh, that annoying person maybe shouldn't have died. <laughs> but she's a tremendous actress and she's oh, so good Oh, she was good so in good in this. And okay, we have to shout out real quick now that we're on the topic of the victim characters. Um, alumni from our college, Annalie Ashford appears as the daughter of Miss Darbus from High School Musical, by the way. Did you notice that? I did not. I did not either. Okay, so did wait, you even, Chris. Did you verify that? The uh the what? blonde the blonde woman who's like uh, who's like she's a, like all spacey the druid. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So you guys know her? No, but she's <laughs> she's one of like the two notable alumni from our college. Um it's like her and Laverne Cox. <laughs> so if you go and to she... tour Marymount Manhattan College with the theater department, they'll be like Emily Ashford went here and graduated early because <laughs> she couldn't stand staying here for a fourth year. And <laughs> it's like it's but like she Andrew- works. It's like Andrew Rannells went here for a year and dropped out and- Alexander Skarsgård went for a semester. Alexander Skarsgård went for a semester and dropped out. Everybody notable from Marymount dropped out. And Laverne Cox did go for four years though. So thank you, Laverne. I think, and I think Laverne Cox is probably the best of everybody that you've named, but uh, do you guys hard disagree with me or? Oh no, you're right. I love Laverne. Oh, okay. Annalie Ashford is great in this, though. But she's she so, great. she works. She's in everything. She's literally like, you see her all yeah, the time. She has such a cool thing where she's like never like the lead, but yeah. she just gets all these cool roles in all these movies. Like she's Weird. in um, Sex and the City. Yeah. She's just randomly one of the people Carrie in interviews for uh, her assistant. And yeah. the original and, Sex and the City. And Bridget Everett, too. Oh, yeah. True, true. Oh, right. They both are. On IMDb. And then Jennifer Hudson gets the job. Wow. <laughs> it Same. was also what I really appreciated was um I feel like the the differences between the first episode and the and, and the rape case that opens the second episode are so stark not just in how the detectives and how the hospital staff are treating the victim but also because you have in the second episode somebody who would be uh stereotyped as like a quote-unquote like good victim like a reliable witness who knows the yeah. exact mm-hmm. time and date that everything happened who was like keeping like, track of how long it lasted yeah, yeah. she's very uh She's somebody who would be like very quote unquote believable. And then Caitlin Deaver's story is, you know, she there there are inconsistent details, um, and she doesn't come across quite as like polite to the detective investigating her case, which mm-hmm. obviously she just went through this huge traumatic event. And she's also a kid. She's a kid, and they're both mm-hmm. like telling a story about the their experience with the same person, and they're both like telling the truth. And it goes to show that, like, I feel like, I don't know, to believe all victims or whatever. What I liked, it, it, it seemed like it was making that statement without being too, without making too big a deal out of itself. Yeah. There were yeah. only a couple moments in the series that I feel like characters went on impassioned monologues about how people should take rape seriously. It was very show, don't tell. And it was such a interesting... It was, it was, I loved that they did it, but it was so hard to watch the first episode. They really hammered home that they kept asking her 
to tell the exact same story front to back. Mm -hmm. If there was a single inconsistency in her written statement, they got really mad and yelled at her. I'm like, what the hell is this? (laughs) Why? Yeah. Yeah. It was awful. I feel like all of, there were so many things that were very subtly, like well done in a subtle way. Just even like the way I feel the, um, a lot of the men were portrayed. Like they never really went on like a, man hated even giving the redemption storyline to um the one detective in a way Mm -hmm. but i did notice that especially towards the end it's like every guy who like speaks to um caitlin specifically about it it's there like even when he apologized it was the detective it was all about him like no one focused all the men were about like like he was like, I wish I could redo this. I can't sleep at night. Like it's not like I can't believe you go through this every day from what mm-hmm. I did. And then even the lawyer, he was kind of like the one who very helped her like at the end. Yeah, yeah. He even then he was being all helpful, but he did he was kind of very I voted for Obama, just so you know. Like that <laughs> like he was like, I want you to know that rape is bad. Like she's it's like, like this is not like, about I you. Know, yeah. Like you don't have to prove that you're like a good yeah, but in a sense, I feel like I I liked that the lawyer was taking that step to earn her trust by like demonstrating yeah. that That's he true. was on her side, especially because she had already established that she didn't trust anybody. And mm. I, I feel like in a sense, like sometimes saying certain things might feel superfluous, mm. but they serve a purpose like in when Merit's introduced she keeps repeating if that's okay with you if that's okay with you to the Mm -hmm. victim uh to sort of you know to make her feel safe in such a way that you might not have to do to somebody who like came home to find that their apartment had been robbed right Mm -hmm. yeah and I think that the sort of what it's trying to say that the issue with a lot of police investigations of rape is that most of the time that a, that a cop or a detective is called to the scene of the crime, they're going to be talking to, by all accounts, a person who is having a slightly n- abnormal day. Like the person who came <laughs> home to find that their apartment had been robbed or, you know, most people yeah. aren't going through the worst day of their lives. And then mm-hmm. when they're called to somebody who is going through the worst day of their life or one of the worst days of their lives, they they don't know how to deal with it and also a bunch of them just fucking hate women and mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> well they they talk about that yeah and in what world would like i know that's like actually what happened but why on earth would you ever have two like old white guys do the rape and inter- like the interview after like with caitlin in the beginning you know what i mean like shouldn't yeah. it be kind of like a general rule that you would have like a woman especially if the the culprit vague the description of the culprit vaguely resembles who you're having it was just such an interesting like they kept calling attention to the fact that like people would just um surprise her or like walk in on her or or even hug her they made every single kid in that room hug her yeah like someone who had been touched like yeah violated like i was like come on she and she was just like stiff it was like awful i'm like there is so much more sensitivity now. I mean, you would hope in a lot of places, but just the fact that we didn't even have those discussions where it counted the most back in the day, it's crazy. Yeah, no, no, a hundred percent. What, you guys asked a good question about 
why they had a ma- male detectives go interview the female rape victim. Uh, it seemed Golden, Colorado seemed like it did not have a very big police force for starters. Um, True. Also, it also makes me think, and this is, I, I think this might be a little like really political, but what happens because we're entering the they generation, right? It's not he or she. So like it really should be kind of non-binary who interviews who in in this climate. You know what I'm you know what I mean? I yeah. wonder how people are going to deal with that. It's weird cuz it's like on on that like gendered versus ungendered level. Like you really never know what experiences somebody has had. Um Yeah, it's a I think it's really. I think yeah. I think that when it comes to like when you look at the statistics of the kinds of people that tend to join the police force, um, I mean, Tony says it in in the the show that like forty percent of cops are self admitted domestic abusers. Right. So I think that the issue is that these rapes are being brought to the same guys who are doing the raping. Right. So right. I don't cool. even know if it's like an a gender issue. I think it's like a police issue. I think well, so, that inherently police officers are less likely to be sympathetic towards rape victims. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Well, okay. So here's here's a glimmer of hope. Do you guys know the intern from 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 this show? Yeah. The, he's gonna be a great cop when he gets yeah. done interning. That's he was true. raised by like a pack of um female wolves just yeah just he's gonna be a great cop that's like really sensitive and also male um which is not indicative of him being a good cop but i'm just saying so there's hope yeah yeah that's true i loved um i i loved the phyllis diller woman who worked yes at the police station, who sounded like the grandma aunt from A Bug's Life. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, where have I seen her before? I'm on the IMDb right now, actually. It was Miss Darvis, by the way. It was? Yeah. Yes. Certified. Certified Miss Darvis in Unbelievable. But um, I wonder what her name was. You can keep talking while I look for her. But yeah, she was great. I love all awesome. the supporting characters. I love one of her lines. So can we tell you that can I tell you that the cop we hated the most is played by Patrick Starr <gasps> from SpongeBob? Oh, no. oh my god! Oh no! I can never go. This Jesus. is just like how Mr. Krabs was in Promising Young Woman. He was. <laughs> Wait, He's I feel dad. like you told me. That's He's right. Your dad. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is a good year for. Next, you're gonna tell SpongeBob me SpongeBob fucking Plankton's and I may destroy you. so you're saying that the characters of spongebob are having incredible careers post me too yes yeah post (laughs) post me too (laughs) wow sorry i don't know although spongebob uh, not to take credit away from spongebob is a great credit i mean they've been running for Mm -hmm. a long time oh yeah and they still work every like there's it's still on the air like think how much money those guys have god yeah what? Enough that they can take roles that make them look terrible and still be very well paid. Yeah. And no one knows who they are. Mm-hmm. That's even better point. That's a dream. And then moments like this happen when you find out the villain of the show is Patrick Starr. <laughs> <laughs> well, the villain was the evil, evil, evil rapist. True. Actually, did we ever find out? Maybe I wasn't, I didn't hear it. 
was he a cop or was he just in the military? He was uh, ex military. Okay. Cause that, what, talk about a fucked up, fucked up person. What did we think about the, um, I mean, that's putting it very lightly. Uh, what do we think about the, um, like reverse violation sequence where he's like stripped and like photos taken of him? And, oh, like, and then we see his dick. Well, yeah. I mean, it was yes. just so interesting. Cause I also, going into material like this always like showing the actual a lot of footage so to speak of the actual assaults was shown more than i would think would necessarily be comfortable uh -huh. um it wasn't like gratuitous but it was still like whoa you know and i think that that was the only way though they could kind of cinematically justify that scene where they're like probing him i don't know it was interesting yeah. I, I don't know if i fully agree with the either choice but i thought it was definitely it was interesting I... tv I, yeah, I think it was good TV. I liked it, man. Um, I wasn't like aroused or anything because it was like a really That's trying good. time. But it was, it was a, it was, um, it made me not want to go to prison. I wanted to do <laughs> less crimes. So it did, sure. it did its job uh, if, if that's what it was trying to do. And the guy even said, I feel like he was expecting for that to happen mm -hmm. years before. He was like, you guys just couldn't catch me. Like I was gonna, I'm gonna keep, I was gonna keep doing it if you didn't stop. Oh, yeah. When yeah. he says he le left his DNA all over, what was oh, Marie's the, apartment uh, yeah. in Washington? Yeah, oh my God, so yeah. sad. I also learned I have two brothers. If they commit rape, I am, I could pretend, and I don't have an alibi, I'm screwed. Not, I'm oh, because the DNA. Wow. Yeah, yeah, if they don't get enough DNA. Well, let's well, hope that your brothers don't do that. Yeah, no, they're good. They're, you know, for all I know, they're good guys. Um, no, but brother, <laughs> apparently all men in the family have the same Y the chromosome YSDR, genes. yeah. Yeah, so yeah, for that test, it could be any of us at any time, which one, is interesting. Do you have a birthmark thing? on your calf? <laughs> Dude, no, but there's, <laughs> that's so funny. I was going to, I was expecting more twists with the birthmark. I thought both of them were going to have a birthmark. Yeah. And then not, neither of them did. Or then uh, one of them did, and you know what? The the more bulky guy, I thought he was going to be innocent too. I thought Same. the the more the um, one with the girlfriend was going to yeah, be the, the one. guy who seemed more innocent. The normal was, guy. That's what yeah. they seemed like. That's what it seemed like they were setting up when um, Merritt goes to interview this guy because the neighbor said that he walks around with like a light on his head. Mm. Uh, she goes, yeah, I'm thinking that this weird guy who lives on the street might have committed this rape because he walks around with a headlamp. And Mary goes to try and interview him. It turns out he's just a weirdo. And the mom says, you know, it's always like the nice guys who mm. yes. people. Yeah. It's always like, you know, charismatic people who would be able to convince others that they didn't do it. So no, that's... So yeah. that it would have made sense if they went with that. Uh, I have a lot of angle. questions for the guy who lived with his, like he lived with his brother. He anticipated that he could build a bomb. He just like never thought to like ask him any questions or like search his bedroom or. <laughs> I okay. Mean, yeah, to a certain extent, it's like you, you, like. His his girlfriend doesn't think it doesn't say, "Hey, your brother's so fucking creepy." Like. Well, I don't know if he had been necessarily doing anything creepy. From the book, it seemed like, a, you know, his, his brother was just like renting a room from him in his house. And he kind of just kept to himself and spent mm. a lot of time on his computer. I guess they didn't really go into that much in the show. But yeah. So you read the whole book article? 
I I did when it uh I did like three years out. ago. Oh okay. I found it at the strand in like the two dollar bin. Wow. And then, that's nice. and then I found out after reading it that it had been like optioned for Netflix and that Tony Collette was going to be in it. And that was before we even started the podcast. But you were already a fan of Tony. We've been fans for years. Yeah. So when we started it, I was like, oh, so we're eventually going to do that TV series about the book that I read. Yeah. Didn't it come out <laughs> after we, we'd already I, started, right? When the show came out, I think. It, Cause we were, we were both like, oh, we're not, we're going to wait. It came we're out. We're going to wait two years. It, it came out like late 2019 and mm. we started the podcast in May of 2019. Right. Okay. Can can I ask you guys about there's one section of the, there was a few sections of the show that I thought they could have cut. Uh, okay. Tell me uh, this is and this is the most notable one for me. I want to know what you guys think. Duval just got to Kansas and she starts singing all around the kitchen. Cock a doodle doodle do. Oh. What is your take <laughs> on this fucking song? Loved it. Loved it. I had fun. I do, but no, that is a good point, Chris. Like, not when it comes to that particular scene, but I read some interviews with uh, the main writer where she said that Netflix told her that people tend to watch uh, shows in at least, like, two-episode chunks. Mm. So they said that she should treat the first two episodes as, like, one premiere. And she was mm. like, that gave me the freedom to spend an entire hour just on Caitlin Deaver. And I think mm. that it, it, it might have been better for her to uh, have some urgency in uh, getting to the main story of the mm. show. Because there is something to be gained from like making the audience sit with Caitlin Deaver's story for a mm. whole hour and like really fucking go through the ringer with her. Oh, it's tough. Um, but I, but I also think that just because you have a lot of time to explore something doesn't necessarily mean that that's the most expedient that's thing true. to do. I could have shaved, we could have shaved a, a couple of the horrible things that happened to her out, down a little bit probably, but. And in terms of like watchability and people watching two episodes, like my, my mom and my stepmom said that they watched the first episode and then they couldn't, Yeah, they just were like, okay, we're going to hold yeah. off. And then they also... ended up not watching it. The first episode of something kind of is supposed to present the way that the rest of it is going to go. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the rest of the show also goes by a lot faster than the first episode. It does. The first does. episode takes place all over the course of like a couple days. And it's and like then, the longest episode too. Yeah. And then in the next episodes, they're zipping back and forth between timelines, all this stuff. I also think that it might have... Um, I would have liked it to be a little bit clearer of the time difference. That Marie's story takes place in 2008, and then the Colorado stories take place in 2011. Yeah, that yeah. was that was tough. It I does say it, but, only but, it, but it says very, it. But it's very it's like, fast. Like the first time, I didn't notice. So yeah, it's it's like yeah, back and forth. I, part of me wonders structurally if they could have opened with Merritt being a cop, you know, whatever Tony introduced in the first episode. Then we don't even. Then we get like a whole Caitlyn episode of like the second one or something. I don't know, like. I feel like there is some wiggle room. That I'm sure they talked. I'm sure they thought about this, but I just I wonder, and I also wonder if we could have only seen Caitlin like if we could have just checked in with her at the beginning and the end. I don't know. That might have had more. It just felt sometimes cutting back to her was like a little bit of trauma porn, as far as yeah, just like yeah. me being like, oh my god, like I have to look away again. Like this is so sad. <laughs> like, That's yeah. what I was, 
I was watching I was watching the show with with uh, my girlfriend, and she was like, "I love the cop portion of the show, but the Marie's narrative was like really hard to watch." And she was like, "I I can't even watch it. I can't even watch it." Every so she would basically watch half hour chunks of this hour long episode, and yeah, it's it's tough. It is uh, trauma porn is an interesting. Time. Yeah, I I, I kind of regret saying that now based on the, what the show's <laughs> about. Uh, but that's just the phrase for it, I guess. So I think we need a new. I think that the it's whole, hard. This whole episode is triggering. <laughs> I think that it's hard because it's it's very very common for depictions of trauma to go into the trauma porn category. That sometimes I personally yeah. feel like if uh, if it's being depicted on screen at all. Like my, I have like a hair trigger uh, for labeling it that. Yeah. You know, like I true. always, like I always hate watching rape scenes at all because my impulse is to dismiss it as voyeuristic. Mm-hmm. Even though, you know, the apparently the creative team was very careful to not make it voyeuristic here and to only for the rape scenes themselves, show them genuinely like from the victims, like only yeah, see what was in their true. eye line. Um, yeah, the eye line thing, that's great. Yeah, but it's, so it, it's hard to, because anybody can have good intentions. I think it's obvious that the creators behind this had good intentions. And for the most part, I think that it is successful. And, you know, I I know a lot of people who are like, uh, who who are sexual abuse, sexual assault survivors who have been able to watch Unbelievable and not be like completely torn up mm-hmm. by it, which I think is a ve- which I think is kind of a good marker of like accessibility as far as that's concerned. Yeah, um, so, it's I hard because it shouldn't be comfortable to watch. No, that's the thing. They they knew that it yeah. wasn't. They weren't trying to make it a good an easy watch. For one thing, and for another thing, you know what you're getting into if you even watch the trailer or read. It's about a show what the about, about rape. It's yeah, about mm-hmm. rape. It's about discovering. You know, it's about the system. It's about all of this. So it's like it's not like you don't know. It. It's not like rape is used as a quirky plot device that shouldn't be there. It's the focus. So yeah, you know, there's that. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good show. <laughs> it's really good. It's it a really good a show. Lot. Yeah. Well, Oh man, I've been debating whether or not I should bring this up. Um, uh, I was uh, molested as a child, and uh, the it's. I thought it was a really easy show to watch for that reason. It actually made me feel a lot better. Um, not better, but it actually it made me a lot more understanding of like other people's ways of dealing with things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because when I started noticing, because I actually had the same opinion as Bridget Everett's character in the beginning, I was like, she's, why is she not reacting the way that Bridget reacted or that the way like I would have reacted or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, that it brought to light that people react to traumatizing things in different ways. Right. And that was, uh, that was really powerful. That was, that should, it could win awards on its own just by doing that. I think, uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, I know that. Um, because, and also, like, like, thank you for sharing that. And oh, if, it's, it's not a big deal. I talk about it pretty openly, like in comedy too. That is true. I, 
I have seen you talk about it in stand-up a lot. Um, yeah, and I've I've managed to finally make it funny. I had a really, really funny set. Wow. Good. Yeah, it took, dude, it took like two years, though. I'm sure. Yeah, no, yeah. I imagine. I yeah, remember it, I always, uh, I feel like very often I bring things to open mics that uh, I think that I'm like, I think that I found a funny way to address something like real or dark in my life. And, yeah. I, and, and I haven't. And that... <laughs> And that always, would you say like, you have to work through it? Um, do, would you say you have to fail a certain number of times, like a joke about something dark, because that's part of the process of creating the, the humor? I think, yeah, I think you have to take any joke that you have uh, to the drawing board and then to the mics and to the shows, and it's going to eat it a lot. Um, but then one day it's going to click. Like, um, you know, Chris Rock has this N-word bit that said he said it sucked for like two years and he would just he would just get crushed on stage for even trying it and then one day it clicked and then and now it's one of the most memorable jokes in one of his early specials so mm. it's like if you're gonna i don't know if you're supposed to like push the envelope in comedy like you're just supposed to make people laugh that's the goal that's true. uh it just make people laugh but if you if you want to say something and it's hard to say uh and you want to say it funny just keep trying it until until you find the way to say it that's funny because there's a i think there's a funny angle in everything man otherwise i wouldn't try comedy because i feel like you know it's a base about the person who's who's saying it and sharing it yeah and if, as long as it's personal then that's all that matters it's, i think what's not funny is when people try to make jokes about things that haven't that haven't happened to them sure. that they make fun of Oh yeah, that's involved yeah, with other bad. people. I have um, a ton of friends. Actually, everybody I know has a rape joke, uh, and I'm the only one that it's actually relatable to. Uh, and so I and I find them hilarious because they just don't know that. I don't like expose that information, you know. Yeah. Um, but I'm also really lighthearted and like very well adjusted. And yeah. uh, not a lot of people are like that, so I feel. I don't know, you know why people feel the need to just have rape jokes. I just don't understand why that's well funny. it can it's <laughs> honestly man it's a great way to deal with it if uh well i mean it, if, if, it if like you were saying like your friends like if they if they not if they're not oh if it hadn't happened to them if you just come up with it as like a funny like for me i'm like yeah. what the fuck is wrong with you yeah. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah if something happens I to feel you like... you can own it but if it's not happening to you i don't understand yeah i feel like part of the virtue of open mics though is that like um you and this is something that I am currently trying to get over is people will really come to open mics with like anything. Yeah. Cause and you, you cause be you do, to do that. And you have to be allowed to do that. Yeah. Like open mics are a place to fail and to bring stuff that doesn't work. So getting mad at somebody for saying something like not well thought out at an open mic mm -hmm. is like yeah like that that's what it's there for, oh, uh, for and hopefully after they say it once and they get a bad reaction they learn their lesson. they'll there's, learn their lesson yeah i i think and sam you might disagree with me here but i there's the world's sensitivity which i'm sensitive to as a human right and i you know deal with that but then there's the comic sensitivity which is almost the exact opposite it's allowing people to say 
the craziest shit that they can think of instead of allowing people to hold back, I guess. Yeah. Um, and that I feel freer being able to like see both circles. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a good experience um, because everyone has crazy thoughts and we just say them and it's, it normalizes everybody. I think. Yeah. I'm also, it's the way that comics can be sort of desensitized also lends uh, an explanation to why rape jokes can be so prevalent because there yeah. are certain topics that will generate like uncomfortable laughter, but it is mm -hmm. laughter. So mm -hmm. I think that sometimes comics will be like, well, they laughed. Uh, <laughs> and then go for And wild. also, if you're going to an open mic that's full of comics, it's going to be hard to get their attention. So I think that sometimes right. people bring out the most shocking topics mm -hmm. uh, because of that. And I think yeah. that usually you can kind of tell when somebody is like, this is a good joke period that happens to be about rape. And like this is a guy telling a rape joke to yeah. get it to get people's attention. Yeah, and you really can you really can tell some jokes, some jokes that are done about touchy subjects when done in earnest, they come off great, and everyone's like, "Hey, that's a great joke." But if it it's it's really a matter of if somebody makes you laugh genuinely. If yeah. it's actually funny, they'll everyone will say keep it, and if it's mm -hmm. if it's not funny, they'll say you're a bastard. Guess what I've realized recently is that the more like TV and movies and stuff that I see and like comedy and people sharing their own, like the more like ex diverse perspectives that are like actually allowed to exist now, yeah. the more you can tell if someone's saying something that they specifically relate to, like that's literally from them. Like, yeah, it's so specific, like things are made that are so personal now as opposed yeah. to like even 10 years ago i'm just like well you know that's a vague thing to say but it's like you can tell if something if someone's making a joke you can tell if that happened to them or not like you literally just can tell well so let me tell you there's a, you know a reason that i decided that i wanted to make my experience into a joke be it it's not a good one yet but it is starting to work uh it is it is so prevalent like it, it, child abuse and shit like that is so wildly prevalent and people don't want to talk about it man and you know if if i can write a joke that allows makes people more comfortable talking about it that's a good thing i think mm -hmm. um yeah, I don't know. If anybody, I, I think that if anything bad happens to somebody, you have two options, right? You can you can hold it in, which is totally fine and very acceptable. Um, but if you have the the will or the drive to to talk about it and open up, you could do a lot of others a good service as well. Mm -hmm. You know. Sorry. By the way, yeah. do, you guys. Uh, the only reason I brought it up is I feel very safe. I feel free. You guys are. Uh, <laughs> You guys are good. You guys are good. That's eggs. good to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a good Thank egg, you Chris. Yeah, you seem yeah. really good. You seem like a really good egg. Yeah. Thanks. I, yeah, and I really did not want to derail with all of that, but uh, laid, it's very on topic. Laid by no. the titular boiled chicken. Titular. <laughs> good egg laid by the 
boiled chicken of boiled chicken comedy. That is that's that's a show that I uh, run. Oh, <laughs> we've had we've had we've had two that. The first one was good. The second one was very bad. Uh, and we're coming back. So, good. Anyway. Um, all right. Other notes about this show. Um, Brandon, you were going to say something? Oh, I oh, was, sorry. It's kind of, no, I was going to say um, in terms of also like, ha- like being able to tell if someone's had an experience, this is kind of a hot take and more of a hot Ooh. question. But did anyone kind of get the vibe that Merritt Weaver's character was supposed to have been sexually assaulted in her past. I think that, yeah. I uh, she it was, was never at all like addressed in any way. But I yeah. felt like I don't know From if that was a choice she made, like as the character. But I kind of felt well. The what I thought was she was so sensitive, and I know that there's no cop sensitivity training like that. So how <laughs> could she have been that mm-hmm. susceptible? You know. Yeah. I don't know. That's true. It, it was very, that was definitely a layer you could pull from it. Just because the way she approached every situation was so deliberate. Mm-hmm. I definitely see that informing her. And you know what? Tony's character might have, I mean, I don't know. We don't know. We won't, yeah. It's not I think that, relevant to the plot. but I think that also kind of the point of the show is that anybody can have been a victim of sexual assault. Like oh. it ha- it happens to just be a fact of the original case that the only victim requirement was that they have an open window. Uh, whereas mm. a lot of yeah. other rapists will attack people with like, you know, the same build, the same body type, the same race or whatever. But well, yeah, he was going after one of the victims were like 18 year old Caitlin Deaver to like 70 year old fraternity mother. Yeah. Uh, and it's like all these women who also happen to have a ton of other things going on in their life. Like the, right. for like you know, like that, that old woman is a rape victim, but she also works at this fraternity house and has a dead husband and thrives on routine. She has all these like things going on in her life. Annalee Ashford is a druid. She, you know, everybody has like, the there, the, there's nobody in the series who is just a victim. Which I yeah. think I think that that framing makes it easier to have us as an audience allow for that possibility in our minds that we see mm-hmm. Merritt Weaver's character as somebody who could have possibly become a victim of sexual abuse the same way anybody mm-hmm. in our lives could have possibly been the victim of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, She's- it's not something that only happens to like super like fucked up people or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it could happen to anybody, including uh, Merritt for sure. She's she's a she's a good mom. She's a good cop. Blending those two things together, this is a little off topic. Uh, <laughs> the gun safe was. Do you guys saw the gun safe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was every time she came home, she did the gun safe. I thought that that was going to be a bigger deal than it ended mm. up being, which was oh. not at all. For but, the, the cl- final scene when, like, he breaks into her house and, like, she shoots him. <laughs> or what, I, I don't know. Like, the guns, yeah. I didn't. I don't know what was going to happen. Because well, her but, husband was a cop, too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I just, I want a gun safe. I mean, I don't want <laughs> a gun, but it was just a cool, and it was, like, built into the wall. I really, it's just good you home just get a, Just get a safe for your phone keys and wallet. Yeah. That's a good idea. That's fine. Yeah, that set decorator deserves an Emmy. 
Mm-hmm. Oh my god! For putting oh, that not gun get too carried away in the wall. <laughs> it's still, it's still just. I'm thinking Colorado. about it because that's um, that's what Jenny, that's what our friend Jenny Epps does in her career. Not a set decorator, but she like works in the art department for HBO. So she's wondered, uh, what... she does like a whole bunch of stuff. Because she worked on that movie Trial of Chicago Seven, right? Mm-hmm. She right. was uh, helping them scout out locations and stuff. Dude, Sasha yeah. Baron Cohen. Uh, I didn't I didn't see the movie, but it's crazy to me that he can do dramatic roles and be as funny as he is. Uh, me too. Like the he's no Tony Collette. Comedians. But... <laughs> <laughs> he's no Tony Collette, but no, I hear he's good. Yeah, he's very good. I think that I've only I've only seen him in uh, Borat and Sweeney Todd. I Did think. you see Les Mis? Oh yeah, I saw I, I saw Les Mis. He's not in Les Mis, is he? Yeah, he's, yeah, he he's is. The Nardia, he's with Helen Bonham Carter. They're the two. Oh yeah. Oh. They have like one scene. They have. They one, were done so like, dirty in that movie. Oh, like, that movie music and dance number. All of their both of their comedic timing for somehow I don't know how they did it, but that movie made them both unfunny in the funniest roles. What's the song they sing? Master of the House. Oh yeah. Master of the House, keep it in. Oh, I love, first of all, I love Les Mis. We could have done a pod on Les Mis if Tony Collette was in it. I love She it. should have been. I mean, sometimes she at 5 a.m. when we can't sleep, we put on Anne Hathaway, I Dream to Dream. <laughs> so I like Anne Hathaway's version better than the original recorded. Yeah. What about Susan she- Boyle? Oh, Susan Boyle's next level. You're right. <laughs> I'm sorry. She's oh she's man that woman can sing man I'm, she's great I oh god I love American Idol and Survivor and any show I'm waiting any, for you to go on Survivor I'm trying to get on Survivor I can't I don't my videos aren't good enough man I got to figure it out but the one that one that you posted on Instagram was very good I thought oh uh, thank you I appreciate it I uh, I only did like ten seconds of it. Um, the first one I did, we're getting so off topic. This is not about Tony Collette at all. Maybe I'll bring Wait. up Tony Collette. No, you know what it is? It. I, I I miss, well, I haven't actually seen Survivor. I've been watching a lot of like mid-aughts reality TV. Like I've been watching like Rock of Love, like Flavor of Love, Daisy of Love, those shows. And I- <laughs> It was Daisy of Love. Oh, Daisy of Love was phenomenal. Uh, it was the Daisy. It's a girl named Daisy who was runner up on season two of Rock of Love. Oh, wow. And she That's has- like, It's The Bachelor, but like for of mm-hmm. loves. We're only watching Real Housewives of New York right now. I feel like everybody on reality TV these days is like just hot and that's it. And we need more like personalities on reality television. And personality need- and hot. Personality. <laughs> You gotta watch Drag Race, Sam. We we need like quick witted people is the thing. People who like, can like like Tila you, Tequila. Like Tila Tequila. <laughs> is she quick witted? No. Oh. Not I, I Sam, I, I I agree. You do have to watch Drag Race because that's yeah. do. they are the quickest witted <laughs> drag is drag queen appropriate? That's like an appropriate Yeah, yes. drag queen is the career. Drag queen is the career. Just don't say any other word. Okay. They are, <laughs> Whatever yeah, else okay. is in your mind. <laughs> that was the, luckily that was the only thing, but I'm now now you're reminding me of other. Uh, drag queens are far and away the best 
they're the most quick witted. They can insult you like faster than like black people. Like they're really, <laughs> they're really, really good at insulting. Anyway. Every time I watch Drag Race, I, I feel like I could win the show, but I can't, I don't do drag. So like, I feel like I could, I could win, but my only, my only drawbacks are that I can't do makeup or so, or. Um, oh, that's most, yeah. isn't that most of it? That's the whole competition. Well, makeup is a pretty important part, but you don't have to snow. Is if you have the, the outfits and you have, yeah. You know, most of the challenges are improv or acting or like lip syncing based. And there's only like one or two where you have to make your own outfit. I feel like I could just be in the bottom two for that episode and send someone home. Like I could win. (laughs) You could, I feel like when it came to lip sync for your life, you, you, you would win the lip sync challenge every time. Hello. Have you ever seen me at the end of a party when... I just put on Disney music and start death dropping for half an hour until everyone leaves. Like, that's yeah, IMO. Jake did one. T- yeah. Uh, oh, I've done that many times. And every time, every morning I wake up, I'm like, did I do that again? The thing <laughs> is, RuPaul makes such terrible decisions on that show when it comes to who to eliminate sometimes. I know. Sometimes. But I think I your roommates that. have really introduced you more to reality TV than you ever have before. Oh, I never watched reality TV before I moved in here. You literally never did. And now it's like your favorite thing. You, now I'm, you've seen more franchises of Housewives than we have. I have. True. Have you, you guys seen... watched Salt Lake City? Yes. Wait, have you seen it, Chris? Uh, only after Below Deck. That's my real, that's my thing. Okay. But yeah, I'm not a big Salt Lake City guy. We only watched the first what, We watched the episodes? first one, I think. Maybe wow. two. Yeah, we're it's our next franchise, but we can we can only do one at a time. We've also yet to um watch any of the Real Housewives with um like live. Right. Because, uh, so we've been able to like binge it, which I think is gonna be really difficult. When, yeah. Uh, yeah. Salt Lake City is hard to binge because there are some like really iconic episodes and then a lot of episodes where nothing happens. There's a lot of filler in any house. I feel like they're especially in the earlier years of any season, they're trying to figure or any series they're trying to figure out like what works and what doesn't mm-hmm. like yeah. we're in season five of Roni right now and they just revamped half the cast and it's pretty great but <laughs> it's so hard to like living in New York and seeing who these people are like I know all of them I just know these women these New York <laughs> oh, okay. and it's just so so yeah. hard like Beverly Hills I idolize them I'm like these amazing actresses in LA like their life I love them they're Emotionally, I'm connected to them in New York. I'm like, I want them all to die. I want them all <laughs> to just go to jail for not tipping me. Like, that is all they do. Yeah. And they're verified. Some of them are verified Trump supporters in real life. Like Ramona Singer, horrible, horrible person. Yeah. Can't, that's, can't get into it. That's people, the reason, so, you know, back to, Ru, back to RuPaul and what you just said. People watch TV because, and TV knows this, because they like to hate other people. That's why the person who should have went home first on RuPaul's Drag Race stayed for as long as they did because you had someone to hate it's while a you real, watched everyone else get better. It's a Lacey wow. on Rock of Love situation. Oh, it's a Lacey <laughs> on Rock of Love, exactly. Yeah. So who should have gone home on Unbelievable? Uh, <laughs> who should have gone home on Unbelievable? Patrick Starkop. Uh, oh, probably. Probably, uh, probably the rapist should have never been shipped out to Korea to begin with. In the sure. book, he says uh, his, his I, I, I think 
it's been three years, but I think that his first rape was uh, in Korea. Really? When, when like he on, was like he was away. stationed? Yeah. <gasps> it was either that or he would or he would like go walk the streets at night and like fantasize about it. But I think uh, that he started know, in Korea. Nobody investigated that. Oh, absolutely not. Went? Oh, should have gone home oh. is um, the her coworker in the back like dock, loading docks when he like stands in front of her. Oh. That was the most disgusting oh, thing. God, that was so fucked. That yeah. Was He's over. like, I'm just fucking with you. And her manager. Like, I want to send her manager home. I'm yeah, like, her manager. Home. She should have been out third. Oh the lady my... who wanted the hot dog sample who yelled at her like, for not putting the ketchup. With those. Get out of here with that. Both yeah. counselors, I'm done with that. And someone who's worked so a bunch of shitty, shitty service jobs, that whole... Every time they showed her working somewhere new, I was like, I like, oh, I feel so bad for her. Yeah, my roommate used to be a retail manager. Uh, she managed Jake for a couple of days at Warby That's right. Parker. She did. <laughs> and every and every time Caitlin Deaver's manager said anything to her, uh, my roommate would be like, "Here's what I would do in that situation. I would be like, <laughs> Hey, what's going on with you lately?" You seem like you're going through a hard time. Do you want to talk about it? And then, this and is then... why your roommate uh, managed a quirky millennial startup, and this woman worked at like a Sears. Yeah. <laughs> so... Did did uh, Jake? Was is she being truthful? Is that how she would have handled the situation? Yeah, she was great. She was great. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. She cool. was great. She's very approachable. We did a whole okay. podcast where she was the guest, and neither of us recognized each other. Um, <laughs> until, what a like, boss! Two weeks later. I love oh, that. Yeah, you guys are both taking your jobs very seriously. Yeah, <laughs> we're working remotely now, so I always hear her on the phone for her job, like through the walls, being just so polite to everybody. And I'm just like, oh, like to have a coworker like you, I can't imagine. Such yeah, just... I just tune out. My last <laughs> job, all I did was just take tequila shots and scream that was your job we'll we'll let you we'll let you know if uh or we'll, we'll contact you later and see if you want to have that deleted out from the pod. <laughs> oh, they, they just laid me off it's fine they just oh, okay on <laughs> um, uh back to the show one of my favorite guest stars was brooke smith the girl in the hole from silence of the lambs as caitlin deaver's counselor who basically after the session is like so i I, I can tell that you've been raped and I'm sorry that that happened and lays out exactly what happened, that the police mm -hmm. investigation was the second assault for her and that she was just as traumatized by what happened there. I just think she's she so great. great. That was a great scene. Also the first like, like literally like first woman she talked to in the whole process about what happened. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I mean, Aside from her shitty power. counselor. Well, yeah, I guess that's not true. And her shitty foster moms and the AMT. Yeah, but it's like, you know what? There's so many. It's yeah. There's so many people who treat each other badly in this show. But I'll I will say I I thought there was a pretty serious juxtaposition, um, not from men to women, but from uh, social social class to social class. Like that mm -hmm. counselor or that therapist. She was obviously really good and highly regarded. She had a mahogany desk. Like she was she was good at her job, you know, where her other counselors weren't. And then same thing with the other lawyer. One lawyer got her $150,000. 
albeit he wanted more because he was greedy. Um, but then the other lawyer, he was too busy, right? So yeah, because he was a public defender. So it's right. like his social status actually deterred him from doing his job well. Right. Yeah. Which is, Feel bad yeah. for public defenders always. They're always, yeah. they always oh, yeah. look so stressed on shows. <laughs> they yeah. do. They always get portrayed as, as stressed. And not they all of them can be as sexy as Sandy Cohen on the OC. <laughs> <laughs> more, uh, more reality TV for you. Let me tell you another job I want to do from watching stuff is, is lawyer, is law. Lawying, lawyering. Oh, no fucking way. Lawyer. No, I mean, I don't, I would be terrible at it. Can you imagine me defending you? I had a, I had a like, nightmare that I was in a courtroom last night. I watched half of the series <laughs> yesterday and then the other half today. And I had a nightmare that I was like trying to advocate for somebody in a courtroom, like an uncooperative witness. And I was oh, being no. like, your honor, please. And he wouldn't listen <laughs> to me. I feel like the, I would let the prosecution or whoever was against me change my mind. Cause I just do that. I'm like so gullible. Me too. I'd be like, oh my God, you did do this. Yep. <laughs> my client, like, you did do that. Oh my God, what are we doing here? Um, I would just be like the search party lawyer, honestly. Oh. Such a performance. I mean, what did this, wait, what's the search party lawyer? Have you seen lawyer? Search Party? I'm starting to realize that I haven't seen any movies ever. It's ever. easier to watch than, than Unbelievable. I oh, guarantee. yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, Unbelievable wasn't that. I know we we trashed it in how hard it was to watch in some moments, but I actually I found myself enjoying it. Um, I do think though, uh, I was surprised. Watch, oh god, I'm going to give away another one of my things. <laughs> I have. You want to wait on it? You want to sit on it? Yeah, because we, we can move it. We could we go, go into awards yeah. now because it is. Uh, we are losing time a little bit. Yeah. Uh, okay, so. You can, if, if you want, you can finish up the point that you were going to make, or we can just go into awards. Uh, we can just go into awards. We'll, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, Jake, your yes. favorite thing that we've watched so far for this podcast has been Knives Out. Is Unbelievable better than Knives Out? Mm, yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. I can't believe that. Even I, that is unbelievable. So that now is... <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> There's more Tony in this. That's my that's my only answer. Oh man. I have to write that down for the next thing. Okay. But is it better than Velvet Bussa? I don't know. <laughs> is it better than Clock Watchers? No. All right. So here on the Tony Awards, we give three awards to each and everything we watch. The first of which is best prop. So Chris, what was your best prop? Best prop. Pink camera. Nice. Mm. What about mm. you, Brandon? Um, I put the uh, the random like tire rim or whatever that sh Tony just like picks up from that man without explaining it to merit in any way and just moves on. Um, I really enjoyed that prop. Yeah. They really thought we were all going to move on from that. I was so floored. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jake, what was yours? Okay, so mine is actually kind of in depth, but I feel like since it's a whole series... I can have more than one. So I, I somehow didn't mention this yet, but I am from the great state of Colorado um, and lived there when this took place. Um, I don't know why, why I wasn't on the detective team. I'm just kidding. I was uh, <laughs> No, I was like 15. But um, no, so mine was all the shout outs to Colorado. They actually did a pretty accurate like, um, like production setup. Uh, like there was a lot of Coors Light being drunk. That's like, that's like from there. Um, 
And then this is a dark one, but we didn't mention there was this, uh, at one point, Merritt Weaver is interrogating this like douchey frat boy who's like ha harassed women. He mentions, he makes a throwaway comment about his parents being in town and staying at the Brown Palace, uh, which just goes to show that's like the most expensive hotel in the state. Um, it just shows his privilege and you might not get that if you didn't uh, live in Colorado and know what the Brown Palace was. So Yeah, wow. That's, that's my prop. My Can prop I is course like in brown palace yeah what <laughs> well no uh, real quick on that on that whole scene when they i know it ended up not having anything to do with the case but when they brought in those kids it made i hope it made um like rape culture and stuff very real for right millennials and gen z anybody that watches that show it's so much closer to you than than the show may make it appear i mean it's right there so that's yeah, that was like a really good it was a good part of the show it was. Yeah, there was the, um, I thought it was almost funny the way that a guy shows up to the police station, a college kid, and he goes into like an interrogation room with Merritt Weaver. And he's like, hey, so I saw this flyer about how there's this rapist. And it reminded me about how I know a guy who's a rapist. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's related. And then, you know, they have completely different MOs. Mm. Uh, and the guy doesn't even have the birthmark, so it doesn't go anywhere. But I thought that that was kind of funny. Um, yeah. My best prop was uh, the the rapist's book about astrology that the camera like zooms in on when the police are <laughs> oh searching God. his house. So scary. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I feel like I've seen that book. I I <clears throat> definitely have. Uh, the next word is best Tony moment. So Jake, what was yours? Well, uh, thank you for picking me first. Uh, there's obviously a lot to choose from, but I'm going to go with um, in the last episode, I think the last episode, maybe the seventh one, when she's in the car with her husband and she finally has like a vulnerable, like she kind of doesn't cry, but she almost starts crying because it's like you can tell that the whole case is weighing down on her so much. Because he, oh yeah, she, he's like, you got the guy. And she's just like, yeah, but she can't even be happy because she's so like drained by it. It was just very like, Classic raw Tony there. Yeah. What about raw. you, Brandon? Um, I one of my favorites was like in her first scene. It made me laugh like every time, even when I rewatch it for the third time. Yeah. Um, when he's like, what she finds that guy who's like moving rocks around behind the house in the the first scene with her, and then he's like, "Who the fuck are you?" And then she's like, "More importantly, friend." Who the fuck are you? <laughs> and then it just like cuts to the end. And I was I just like, that is so, it was just so funny. Cause it, it was just such a cheesy cop moment, but unlike the rest of the entire show, but I loved yeah. it. I yeah. love that. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good one. Yeah. What was yours, Chris? Uh, mine is not necessarily, it's not exactly a Tony moment. Um, well, so at the end of one of the episodes, uh, she knocks on the door of the who she thinks is the rapist's house and somebody else answers the guy's brother answers and she has to come up with a uh on the spot um reason for being there and i thought i thought that that was like that was really cool but at the beginning of the next episode uh the fbi agent uh they're, they're talking on the phone and the fbi agent's like yep you should have seen her balls of steel and i i just loved that because she doesn't have balls and it was so, <laughs> it was totally non-binary and i just love 
everyone else was giving her credit for how good she was. I loved that. Yeah. You love when she got credit for stuff. I just It's very that. cool to see like um because even though it does obviously like the show takes place in a very misogynistic society. Yeah. Uh, but our society. It, it, our society, but yeah, it's society just works. It's cool to see uh female characters who in another show might be demeaned for having certain qualities. Uh, those are the qualities that they're getting celebrated for in this show. Yeah. So that was kind of cool to see. Like, instead of her being regarded as a ball buster, in this show, she's somebody who has balls of steel. Yeah. It's very exactly. complimentary, I think. Also, fun fact about them being powerful, the the moment when Merritt, like, I think when they all ask to take a break or something during the initial crime scene, and she's like, no, keep working. Mm-hmm. Um, that oh, I read yeah. actually happened in real life. That was like one of the like real stories from the initial crime scene. Wow. Mm. Uh, my best Tony moment was during the montage of Tony running with her dogs and Merritt singing in church. Uh, Tony and her dogs, well, Tony's dogs run ahead of her. And Tony runs to catch up with them and she comes across like a dead baby deer that her dogs are like sniffing around, maybe chewing on. And you think personally, I thought that maybe this was going to be a very like metaphorical moment for Tony where she's like, this is a victim, like the same victims that I've been trying to help. And she, I thought that it would like emotionally affect her in some way, but instead she just looks at it and goes, oh, hell. And then it cuts to something else, which I thought was very in character for her. Uh, I think that sometimes shows or movies with like strong women have a moment where uh, that strength gets like completely breaking down and they become like a very weepy person, which I'm sure that everybody who is strong has moments like that. But I think that sometimes... Uh, those moments seem a bit contrived. Yeah. Uh, and this seemed very truthful. Well, to even her the character. scene I mentioned, like she doesn't actually cry. She just Yeah, goes, exactly. She she uh, she does like her version of yeah. crying. And yeah, it's also she, like, you know, it's not like it's the story of her own rape or her own assault. So if she was getting like that, she doesn't have to get that weepy. Right. I think that there's almost like I think that to a certain extent, the compulsion to have a woman weep in a show where she might not necessarily need to can be a little bit sexist. Yeah. But that's also just me having been a failed actor who was never able to cry in anything. (laughs) Stop asking women actors to cry because some of us can't (laughs) do it. Some actors aren't good at acting and you need to take their needs into consideration. (laughs) Sam's just trying to get more work. (laughs) I'm really just trying to get more work. Stop writing female characters who cry or go through any emotional journey at all. (laughs) True. Um, No more emotions. I feel like it would have been a great Juno because she was deadpan the whole time. Oh, yeah. Juno, the character, she was, yes, and Elliot Page, he played it very... um, are you saying yeah. Sam would be a good Juno? Because that's true. I'm, that's what, what I'm saying. Sam would yeah. have been a good Juno. Yeah. What what my roommate was saying was that uh, she she thinks that Caitlin Deaver is going to take over a lot of roles that previously may have gone to Elliot Page before he came <laughs> out. 
I, I could see that happening. For I sure. mean, she's a lot younger than Ellie yeah, Page. That's true. But yeah, that that vein for sure. Like if Juno had been made in 2018. Diablo but... Cody needs to grab Caitlyn Deaver right now. Diablo Cody needs, I mean, I know that she's, Diablo Cody is running the Powerpuff Girls reboot, which I don't oh, know okay. if you've heard about this, Chris. She's busy. It's uh, it's like a gritty reboot of Powerpuff Girls, and they're like traumatized and trying to deal with it. And it's like an hour long drama on oh, no. the WB is it live or action or like whatever the WB is now. We're um, talking about the girls that are the product of Sugar Spice and Everything Nice. Yes, mm-hmm. and like Dove Cameron was just announced to have been <laughs> oh, playing yeah. one of them. I saw a casting announcement today, and it. I mean, you know, like they posted the girls' headshots. So I was like, well, you it's just a bunch be of fucking team. models. This? Uh, how could models be traumatized? Yeah. No way. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most traumatic in- industries in the world. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but... yeah. Okay. He was being facetious. Okay. I was. <laughs> I was being. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I forgot. Phew. That it was traumatizing to be a model. I'm sorry. It's so hard to be pretty i'm just kidding that's reductive beyonce said pretty hurts i don't even know what you're saying right now it hurts <laughs> it does um yeah this is maintenance i don't remember what we were talking about <laughs> oh we have we're another in, we're award in the awards portion the next award oh. is a custom award and it can go to anything <laughs> that's so, right Chris, what was your custom award custom award uh best show that doesn't introduce a main character until the third episode yeah. <laughs> he doesn't show up True. until a third of the show is done. True. Mm-hmm. Wow. Great. That's, That's the true. only show I know that does that. But yeah. Very yeah. good. Uh, what about you, Brandon? Um, I think I will, my award will be um, best religious moment. And that was when um, at the end, Tony admits that she finally has prayed for the mm. first time. <laughs> <laughs> and when Mara asks her what she said, she's like, I said, hey, motherfucker. And that's how her prayer started, which I, I died. That's, yeah, that's another crazy. Another moment that could have easily been super corny, but it, yeah. it, it had a fun little twist on it. Yeah. What about you, Jake? Mine's religion related too. I was going to give, <laughs> surprise, right? My parents are pastors. Um, uh, most, I'm going to give the, a cabum award uh, to Merritt Weaver. All cops are bastards except Merritt um, <laughs> and Tony, I guess. But no, I just like uh, I just love that we said that earlier. But I just love how she hu- fully just humanized the religious cop who I never thought I would uh, mm-hmm. in the real world I would instantly mistrust, possibly. So yeah, uh, my custom award was best focus pulling uh when fake alice and janney is telling the detective about caitlin deaver's behavior before the assault and she's like she was doing all of these look at me activities and then it cuts to a bunch of people singing happy birthday to a little girl and then caitlin deaver blows out the girl's candles before she can do it also when she's like sexy dancing on the picnic table and then it cuts back to alice and janney and she's like and that's why i don't believe she was raped (laughs) (laughs) what like what yeah too real it it was said (laughs) Just out, outstanding. Look at me behavior. 
look at me. I'm gonna try to implement some of that in my life. Yeah. First yeah, step, we, blowing we out someone else's candles. Yep. Second step, dancing on that table. Is also so good at playing a teenager. The like oh weird God, sort yeah. sort of like I literally thought they were like, aging way, her down with makeup. The way that teenagers like hold their body, she's always just kind of like, going like this, mm-hmm. pulling her body from like room to room. Yeah, our our listeners can't see that we're just kind of yeah. vaguely. Oh, this isn't uh, the video. Is the video part of it? Not really. Um, sometimes <laughs> if if it's an episode where we've really been like joking around a lot, because uh, when I record it for Zoom, it records a video and an mm-hmm. audio track. And oh. sometimes I'll post a video of like a funny moment that happened on the Instagram. Uh, but this wasn't but sometimes a very- Sometimes the material is very, although you could post this, the explanation of when you post and when you don't. <laughs> this is everybody's Caitlin Deaver impression. <laughs> and <laughs> unbelievable. And it's just everybody like, <laughs> just reminds me a lot of college when you and I used to just kind of do that from I used hall, to just straight up like lie down on the floor when I was 18 if I was hanging just out like, with people I would just lie down on the floor no my and... like you would always just kind of just like flop your arms down just like lay yeah. against the wall <laughs> mm-hmm. like, Brandon, are, you, are you part of this long history that they have yeah, I actually oh, okay. have known I've known Sam longer mm-hmm. than I've known Jake actually oh, we all went oh to school wow together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, Sam me. and I met freshman year of um college, they were scene partners. And we were scene partners a lot in acting classes. How did yeah. how did that go? It was good. I feel like by it the well. by the end we we like started re- like urging the professors to put us together. I'm so curious. I was I you know, I went to engineering school. Uh yeah. so I got I got none of that. I, I all my go ahead. I was just telling my roommates, I wish that I had like been good at science in high school so that I or like math or what I I wish I like knew what engineering was so that I could have gone to engineering <laughs> school. And like like I wish that I'd liked engineering and that yeah, I'm I, glad you don't. Most. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people wish more women liked it just so you know, but nobody people just don't. It's I, it's not a boring thing. It's just uh a lot of work, I guess, and um, it's it's creative, but it's not creative like like you guys are, or like I am in the outer part of my life. It's, it's just it's all numbers and shit. It's boring. Yeah, it's not fun to look at. <laughs> I Whatever. wish it I, was. Yeah, no, I get it. I wish I was an actor, man. I wanted to. My dad uh, got into. It's not. In in Glee, it's called Niada, but it's there's a oh, real yeah. place. Oh yeah, it's what it's what is it? It's, it's New um, York NYCDA. Yeah, it, I think it's NYCDA. Brandon did classes there. So my dad, well, my dad got in, but then he didn't go for a number of reasons. He had a really hard life, um, and he always, but he was really he was the king in the King and I. He was like really really good. And part of the reason that I do comedy now is kind of like an ode to, I was like, someone in this family is going to be an entertainer because I, yeah. I knew it was going to be you. So I'm going to try to do it mm. anyway. Oh. Yeah. But so I'm so glad you guys went and made something of it. <laughs> oh, you know, just a hundred thousand dollar acting degree with no job security. Ah! Pretty good. It's, I feel you kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't uh... care. I did it on purpose. <laughs> Yes, yeah, right. It's not, yeah, it's a good thing. I don't regret. Yeah, don't regret your choices. 
Yeah. Uh, so you do you your... have? Oh, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. Sorry. No, go, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to ask if you had anything to plug. Uh, we're, we're nearing the end of the show. So uh, does guess... Boiled Chicken have its own Instagram? It does. I'll... Yeah. Okay. So to, I'll. Yeah, uh... A link to it in the show. Yeah, notes. you can go to add boiled chicken comedy at you know I guess my own Instagram if anybody wants to see me live my my real life uh, or like the best version of my real life. Um, that's that's it really, man. I'm out in New York. I'm on the scene, and uh, I want to. I got to meet Jake and Brandon in person. You guys yeah. have a lot of fun. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah it'd be fun. <laughs> we don't actually exist. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're animated. <laughs> You're in John Oliver's blank void somewhere. If you guys know about that, I don't. Sam, Sam animated us for this today. That's you should have considered animation instead of creative writing. <laughs> Man, no, you are you guys? I just I feel like this is offensive. Are you guys comics? Uh, well, yes, I. I enjoy being funny, but I Jake I'm... was the uh, highlight of our improv team. Highlight of the improv team. No, I was I've... at. At best, top four. Come on. <laughs> he was co-highlight <laughs> alongside Sam. Um, but no, yeah, I, I was on Sam improv team with Sam, and I, I consider myself a comedian, but not a comic because I like to make funny things. But I'm not. I don't do open mics really. I've done you three. Don't, yeah, you don't. Do but I've not. I don't like. That's not my like. I don't. I would love to do stand up, but just as I was becoming interested in it, it kind of the COVID and stuff. COVID and happened. That, you know, right. I, I felt like I felt like Zoom stand up would be harder to begin to do to gauge actual reaction. Yeah. So it, yeah, it for sure would. But you have the perfect setup, the brick wall. That's why oh, I thought yeah, well, I was this like, is new. Oh, this is great. Oh, that's me. I also have a well, we just moved here this year, but I also have a um a blue reversal blue and green screen for my self tapes. Oh, yeah. So yeah. an acting life. You're more prepared than I am by a lot. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've reached the end of our podcast. Hail Paymon. Hail Payman. What's that? The eighth king of hell. Oh. <laughs> what? Oh, and uh, listeners, we only have a couple more weeks of Tony material left. So big surprise coming your way soon if you made it this far. Um, and you probably already know because I probably told you. All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for having me.